0: Days of troubles, rows of battles, hands of victory, we shall walk. Good afternoon and welcome to WEHC 90.7 and you're tuning in to She Walks with Carly Blaylock and Sharon Bowers. We're so glad that you decided to join us on this afternoon and we're continuing our discussion on disruptive leadership, disruptive change, innovative change all of those kinds of things, because we firmly believe that we're in a season right now that we cannot go back from. With all of the many things that have happened, we must talk about disruptive leadership and how important it is for leadership now and in the future. Carly, welcome.
1: Hi, how are you?
0: <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, we, we wanted to kind of talk about the role of leadership uh, in disruptive you know, the disruptive innovation process, and especially in higher education, which is where we serve, how important it is to try to figure out what we're going to do. One of the things we talked about before in disruptive leadership, we talked about just seeing it from the perspective of, I mean, a lot of it has to do with technology and the business world and all of those things, but it really does have something to do with social justice and education. And from the perspective of we're at a place or where we will never be the same. The way things were, they're not going to be that way anymore. And we talked about it with COVID, with the racial justice incidents, with all of those kinds of things, with the education crises. Where do we go from here? I think that's a legitimate question. And how do we become disruptive leaders?
1: Right. And one of the things we talked about previously was flexibility, adaptability, being able to move when these disruptive changes happen that we can't Plan. And so, because of that, you know, I think that that conversation could be a good place for us to kind of jump off, right? Right. Okay.
0: Well, you want to lead us or you want me to lead us? Either way.
1: <laughs> well, we could definitely, you know, start by just exploring. You know, we challenged sort of this patriarchal idea of leadership during when we were doing our leadership series in the spring. And one of the things that we talked about was. That women leaders tend to be more adaptable and flexible, and kind of roll with the punches a little bit because they've had to do that, right? As right. You know, being a woman in the world, you kind of have to do that. And so, thinking about it like that, you know, how can women leaders really step to the forefront and, you know, kind of be the disruptive change leaders?
0: Well, and you know, if the truth be told, and I know this is going to sound a little bit corny, if the truth be told, our leadership has always been innovative. And it has always been from the perspective of disruptive leadership, because many times we have to come in and we have to work around barriers, social barriers like patriarchy and just hierarchical organizational structures and all those things. We have to work around all of that to get things done. So we've been doing it for a a very long time as women and especially women in the workplace, but also in our homes. I mean, that's kind of what we do. We're not that disruptive leadership is, is all based on crises. I'm not going to say that at all, but we are the kind of people that pick up the pieces and build something beautiful out of disarray more often than not. And from a leadership perspective, I think women do that same thing, you know, from, especially because we are collaborative and, and the way that we approach it is that there is room for everyone. And then that everyone can be better Everyone can be better. So that model is is kind of a a feminist model anyway, and definitely a womanist model.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, too, there's a lot of truth in when somebody approaches a woman leader and says, you know, let's think about doing it this way. You know, the answer is not always, no, we've done it this way in the past. We're going to keep doing it the way we've been doing it, right? A lot of times the answer is, yeah, let's see what we can do. And so I think when that disruptive change happens that it forces us to have to do things differently, that adaptability is incredibly important.
0: Yeah. And again, we've talked about it before, but that's the way that women lead and women lead so different than men. And, and, you know, you, you, I I remember, I think I shared a little bit about this when I was in corporate many years ago, before I got delivered, when I was in corporate many years ago, all you tried to do was find that man that was exubing the most leadership, proudness, you thought, and just be like them, even down to dress like them, to act like them. And that was so uncomfortable for me because it wasn't who I was. And uh, and I think for a lot of women who end up having to do that, it makes them uncomfortable. And, and I think they lose some of their authenticity in doing that. Yeah. And,
1: you know, we, when we did our leadership series in the spring, we talked a lot about that, about women having to change who they are, the way that they look, the way they dress, the way that they talk in order to fit into this patriarchal model of leadership, but that they also get punished for that too, right? If a woman takes on very quote unquote masculine qualities, when we think of like masculine leadership qualities, she ends up getting punished for that. She's seen as cold or, you know, uncaring, unfeeling, you know, those sorts of things. And so when we explored that a little bit, we really came away with it saying like women need to show up as their authentic selves and that needs to be celebrated. Right. And, you know, even as women leaders, we all have different leadership styles, but wherever, however you show up as a woman leader, that needs to be celebrated and honored. And I think when we talk about disruptive change, that's where those gifts really shine.
0: Yeah. And, and I think it's, it's so large. I mean, we're, in the pandemic, we I almost said we're coming out of the pandemic, but we're still right smack dab in the middle of this COVID crisis. We're in it. We're looking at all the environmental changes. We're looking at all the social justice issues like race and the disparities and all of those kinds of things. And I think what people are saying is that we have to do something and what we've been doing has not been working. So yeah. what do we do? You know, because these things have disrupted our culture. They have disrupted the way, and I think all for good, the way of life, the status quo has been shaken. So when the status quo is shaken, what do you do? And I think that's where the innovative leadership that disruptive leaders bring to the table, it makes a difference because you can't do what you used to do because what you used to do doesn't work. Right, and it hasn't worked for a while. And especially
1: if we think about, covid and the impact that it had on our you know typical 8 to 5 9 to 5 job you know we can't go back to the way we were before and i think people are trying <laughs> yeah but it's yeah, not yeah. working out because being home for so long a lot of us realized One, that we had some work-life balance for the first time in a while, but also the flexibility of childcare, the flexibility of being able to care for your home or your pets or yourself, while also being able to get work done. And there had to be sort of, there was sort of forced to be some trust between employers and employees because you had to trust that things were still going to get done. And they did, they did get done. And so it kind of raised these questions of, If we're able to live a more balanced life and still get the things done that we need to get done, why aren't we doing that, right? Why isn't that the model that we're kind of following going forward?
0: Yeah, and I think part of that, this again, I'm really corny today, so y'all just forgive me, but I think it requires this bold leadership. And, you know, disruptive leadership, disruptive change, all of this is a boldness because it it requires us to look at these issues, especially the social justice issues, all these kinds of things that are, that are out there and try to figure out how are we going to invest in, in ourselves, invest in the community and invest in, you know, people for the future. And that, that requires boldness because it would be easy just to take your, your position as whatever you are, the head, (laughs) quote unquote, whatever it is that you are and and think that you don't really have to do anything. But I think that's where the pressure is gonna be the most. The fire is gonna be turned up seven degrees higher for our people who are in these key leadership positions because we won't be able to just go business as usual. And the ones that will do it kicking and screaming are the ones we'll end up having to get out of the way because the way that, you know, just saying, to, telling somebody like an old parental model, do this because I told you to do it. Is not going to work because you've got things like I mentioned earlier, like the George George Floyd case. You know, you've got all of these kinds of things, the the COVID pandemic and its impact and how it just disproportionately affected, you know, Black, Indigenous people of color. And there are enough Black, Indigenous people of color who are, I guess, they're kind of doing the Fannie Lou Hamer and say, I'm just sick and tired of it being that way and and something has to change. So there is a demand, let me say it that way. I believe there is a demand for disruptive leaders and that is gonna require that people be bold and that they make investments in themselves to learn, to see what's going on, to take the blinders off, but also that they make investors in the people that work with them, not for them, with them and they make investments in the communities that they serve.
1: Yeah, and I really like your point about, you know, you can't avoid this, right? You can try, but it's going to happen. And so would you rather be one of the people who is leading that change, or would you rather be one of the people who is trying to fight, fight it, right? Fight the inevitable. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's a really good perspective to have.
0: And, and I think, you know, this whole environmental piece that we're in, I mean, you used to get away with almost anything. Dumpings occurred every time you turn around in the marginalized communities. I mean, you had big issues of cancer and other diseases. And now, I mean, that can't happen. You, you're you held responsible, socially responsible for those kinds of things. And even when you do it you and you get called on it, I think, I think it's important. And, and then I think there is a, a rally, if you will, or a call to leadership to find out what their commitment is or what their vision is for social justice, what their vision is for a sustainable future. And I think it goes beyond lip service. I think people have to have an answer. They have to have a ready response. They have to be able to say what they're going to do or how they're going to lead people through these various crises. I mean, we're sitting right now either already in or it looks like a recession, quote unquote. What will leadership look like there? Mm-hmm. How will we continue it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. All you know, those are incredible questions, and I think to add to that, just being specific. So, not just saying, "Well, when this happens, we'll do this." You know, we'll we'll approach it as a team. Okay, well, specifically, what are we going to be doing? Right? Let's have a plan. Um, And I think it's important for
0: leaders to have answers to those questions. Yeah, uh, Carly, remember yesterday we were on that meeting with Credo about the DEI, now DEI and B uh, on Emory and Henry's campus. And it was a great meeting and there are wonderful people and positive, affirming leaders and, and all of that. But I think one of the things that we have to do, and I would say to listeners too, one of the things that I believe that we have to do is we have to make our our commitment for direct action. What is our commitment for direct action? Because we can say words like diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. We can define them and all that. But what is our commitment to direct action. What does that really look like? How are we working to try to dismantle these inequities that persist in our systems? They're always there. They've always been there. So we've talked about them. We've had various programs and all those kinds of things. But overall, what are we doing when we're looking at, well, as we talk about this intersectionality of inequity? How how are we, what are we going to do about that? What are we going to do about the women you know, quote unquote, and the inequities? What are we going to do uh, about people of color and, and their inequities? What are we going to do about our first generation students and all of those inequities? And I mean, you work in student success, so you see this all the time, the disparities. What are we going to do? What's our commitment? How are we going to cast that vision for direct action for these things?
1: Yeah, that's an excellent question because I think it's one thing to do. There's sort of two pieces, right? There's the educational side. When we talk about DEM, we talk about our vision, you know, what are we talking about? And educating everyone on campus about that, right? That's important. And I feel like we've done a pretty good job with the education side of things. But then the other piece of that is the action piece like you're talking about. So, yes, we need to all be educated. We need to do the safe zone trainings. We need to do all of that. That's so important but we also need to have next steps. So how are we gonna put everything that we've learned into action, into action, actionable things where we can see
0: results and there's very meaningful um, results for our students, right? Yeah, and and again, I'll probably get in trouble for this because I get in trouble all the time, but I do believe that that vision has to be cast and communicated. It's not enough just to say, hey, here's this department, but it, it has to be what are we doing overall for the community at large to dismantle these intersectional inequities? What are we doing? and and that takes a, a real disruptive leadership look. and it would require people in hierarchical positions to say, wait a minute. It's not enough just to say because I'm the boss or because I think so or because I whatever. it really is. Let's look overall at all of these inequities that our community and in our case, our students, they're so vulnerable and that they face. I mean, one of the primary things I think or that I've witnessed in my time at Emory and Henry has been looking at, you know, students who are there, who want to be there and just don't have the money to stay. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when we talk about inequity and DEI work on campus, you know, Obviously, racial inequity, DEI work around race, ethnicity, gender, sexuality—all of that is extremely important. But it's also really important to recognize um, our socioeconomically disadvantaged students. Yeah, yes. and there's often overlap, right? Intersectionality there, but um, you know, it's really important that we do look at that because you're exactly right. There are students who want to be here, and you know, it's just a matter of money and we need to really kind of think about that and think about how we can support those students through the DEIB lens.
0: Yeah, and how, how do we take, you know, integrated, I guess, approaches to, to social justice, to sustainability, to student success, to and include all of the stakeholders, everybody that's involved, how do we do that? And I think, again, disruptive leadership, it's going to require that we look at our systems and see what's happening and you know and 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 make the adjustments and we talked last time about incremental adjustments and how most people would change see change from an incremental lens but in disruptive change or disruptive innovation it's not it's it's there it's in your face you can't ignore it you know you can, and and I think sometimes what happens with leadership is that when we come to these crux when we come to these points in in our journey we just try to figure out using old ways how to work on this problem. And with disruptive leadership, that's that's not the way you go. You don't look at, you know, uh, in the Christian world, I'm I'm clergy for some of you who may be listening for the first time. And one of the things we talk about is, is that you can't put new wine in old wine skins. You know, what an analogy. And I think from a leadership perspective, sometimes we just keep trying to do the same things that we've always done when we come to this disruptive moment. And so our our response or our recall, uh, what we have to do, the recourse that we have to take for this disruptive leadership will have to be innovative. It cannot be old stuff. We cannot put new wine in old wine skins. It'll burst. It won't work. The same thing will just keep happening. And so all of our social justice issues, all of our economic issues, all of those kinds of things are calling leadership to a place where... We have to decide that we're going to take this disruptive moment and lead with it.
1: Yeah, you're exactly right. And, you know, it requires going back to the drawing board and really thinking outside the box, both of which are cliches, I know, but yes, yeah. <laughs> it requires, right? And it requires being very honest and authentic about the things that have worked, the things that have not worked, and where we need to go next. And trying things out, you know, try something new. And if it doesn't work, we can try something else. But, you know, if the, if the old ways of doing things have not been working for us, then that means that we need to try something
0: new. And, and I guess, good, good point, Carly, because it's like this disruptive leadership is calling for us to somehow make a, a change. And for some of us, it's a behavioral change because we've always done it that way. Mm-hmm. or and especially the powerful have always been in power nobody's ever questioned their authority or anything like that and so they've never had to look at how to to use their sphere of influence how to use who they are for good what they've looked at is what's next on my pr- primarily i think some people have looked at what's next on their personal agenda as opposed to kind of looking at this corporate culture this uh community culture and, and how to best interact, how to move the, the people at large for the good instead mm-hmm. of just how to move the individual.
1: Yes. And I think when we talk, and this is a, a broader DEI thing, because when we talk about it and we educate about it, a lot of the focus is on our individual behavior, which is super important, right? Dismantling our own inner bias is very important. Mm-hmm. Honoring identities is important, understanding our privilege, all of this is incredibly important. But there's also this much larger systemic piece. And I think that's where the conversation gets more muddy because I think people are willing to sort of go, yeah, I could change some things about myself, you know. Mm -hmm. But when they think about changing the system, that feels a little scarier, right? That feels more uncertain. And looking at these systemic pieces is incredibly important because oftentimes, those systems were put in place by people who you know were racist sexist you know all of that and while the homophobic inhabit, homophobic absolutely <laughs> and while the people that inhabit those systems now may not be that or may not see themselves that way they're still operating within the system that works that way so it, it there ends up being this kind of budding offense right of this person who as a person says you know I am not sexist not racist not homophobic but then they're working within the system that was built by those people, right? There's all this kind of dichotomy
0: there that needs to be
1: Looked at, investigated, and ultimately dismantled
0: and rebuilt. I don't remember where it was, so don't quote me. I can't quote, but I, it was an article I was reading about disruptive leadership, and it was some article I think out of the universe, out of the UK, I believe maybe, maybe it was the United Kingdom. I, I can't remember where it was, so don't hold me on this. But one of the things they said that I remember, I wrote that down. I thought it was real powerful. They said leadership behaviors need to change with the times, because leaders are the ones who normalize our group behavior. And I thought, wow, just think if a leader came in and said, I have recognized this disruptive leadership moment and I want to lead this team in moving with this disruption. I, instead of saying, we're not going to do that. I mean, no, like right now in the United Methodist Church, we have this really big riff. It's a major split. We call it disaffiliation, but it's all over, over human sexuality and whether or not the church will include The LGBTQ plus community. So whether or not they'll let them become ordained elders, quote unquote, and whether or not, you know, all the other things, all the rights that go with it. And we have social principles that say that everybody is of sacred worth. We have all the lip service, but where our challenge is, is in living it out our challenges. And we have a book of discipline that we have used that guides us. And so it's an old book of discipline. It gets updated all the time, but this is the seventies that people put something in there regarding homosexuality as being incompatible with, you know, the message of Christ. I forget how, how we say it, but anyway, so that, that got put in there. And so it's a part of the system. And so the disruption now has occurred with people saying that's no longer fair, that's not the way we are. That's not who we are. That's not how we want to treat everybody. And everybody is of sacred worth. You know. So we're, we're saying that now, but here we are in this disruptive moment. And unfortunately, a lot of leaders, instead of going with the disruption, are saying things like, well, as long as the book of discipline says that, I will uphold it. Mm-hmm. And instead of having those kinds of conversations that say it, that say we're in a disruptive change moment, So we have to do something different. We can't go back and say, well, the rule said this. You know, it used to be legal to hold people enslaved somebody had to say, we're not gonna do that anymore. Something is inherently wrong with that treatment. And so we want that to change. And so we had to have laws and we're still in the process of changing. I've got a a Zoom at 11 o'clock that's dealing with clergy who are dealing with uh, the clause Tennessee that still has about slavery. So, you know, we're still fighting it, but I said all that, that was a ramble, but I said all that to say that when these disruptive moments come, we have to lean into them. And as leaders, we need to be ready to pivot instead of fighting and going against it or acquiescing and becoming complacent and said, well, the big system says that this is the way it is and I can't do anything else about it. Right, exactly. And I think complacency is a huge
1: part of that because once we start to get comfortable, um, we start to get complacent, right? And I think that's yeah. why that disruptive change is so important because It is uncomfortable, but that's important that it's supposed to be because it forces us to recognize, you know, where the inequity still is, where are these issues that we still need to deal with. Right. And so it being uncomfortable is kind of necessary for the process. And what happens sometimes is, you know, people become leaders with brand ideas of the things that they're going to change and do. But once they get in that position, it's difficult. You know, of course, they're going to get pushback from people. Of course, they're going to get pushback from other leaders in their communities, right? And so it's, you know, you really got to stick to your guns and be like, okay, I'm going to do this, right? And that's difficult. That's difficult work. And so sometimes complacency does happen. And that's when we end up in the situation of just nothing changing. Or, you know, that's what the book says, (laughs) that's what I'm going to do, you know, even though it's not right. And I think people... Think a lot about their legacy as well. Leaders tend to think a lot about their legacy and have very specific ideas about what they want their legacy to be. But then sometimes it's difficult to bring that into into fruition. And maybe there's worry too that if they you know embrace this you know disruptive change that that's going to affect their legacy somehow, right? So you're kind of going against ego as well.
0: Yeah, definitely correct, Carly. I was looking, and uh, there was um, there were there was this, I think it's that same article. I'm going to look to see if I can find it. It might be in a folder somewhere so that I can refer it. But they were talking about uh, disruptive leaders and they were giving some tips. And one of the tips that they said, the first tip was to emanate belonging cues. They said, disruptive leaders always let other people know that they belong in that system. And I think sometimes about people who are kicking against the prick or people who are not wanting to to uh deal with the disruptive change moment instead of saying somebody belongs they often kick the people out or the people that look don't look like them or the people that have the ideas that don't follow their ideas are really quickly silenced and sometimes you know just kicked to the curb but it's important i think to especially and now here at Emory and Henry we have the whole deib I think it's really important for us to beef up that whole belonging thing and to let people know that they belong here and that they matter and what they say and what they do is critical to this change that we are experiencing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I just did my my semester round of doing the DEI training for some of our some of our classes and we talk a lot about belonging in that in that class because that is really the foundational piece, right? It's one thing, you know, inclusivity is fantastic, but inclusivity is here is a seat for you at the table. Belonging is that your seat at that table is valued, that your voice matters, that your opinions, your perspectives matter, that, you know, not only are you here and it's great that you're here, but we're so thrilled that you're here and we want to listen to you and learn from you, right? Right. And so that belonging piece just takes it to the next level. And it kind of avoids that, you know, that tokenism that can happen, right? Where it's like, okay, we've got we've got um, a racially diverse table. Great. Are we listening to those racially diverse voices, right? Yes. Which is important.
0: And are we listening to them to help shape our future together? Mm-hmm. Or are we only, it's kind of like a, this man named Gene, I forget what his name is. He, he said this to me a long time ago. He said, I only go where I am celebrated, not where I am tolerated. And uh, that was a profound change for me. About 30 years ago, I heard that. And I've always thought about it. And I've always tried to govern my life because I think everybody wants to be celebrated. And as you just said, you can include me and have me come to the table. But if I'm supposed to sit, there, come there and sit and my voice is not to be heard, or my perspective is not to be considered, then you haven't done me a favor. As a matter of fact, you've made it very difficult for me, especially if I am an only, if I'm the only woman there, or I'm the only person of color there, or I'm the only gay person there, you know, you make it difficult for me. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I think this whole disruptive leadership thing is is really important. And, and maybe we'll get to continue the conversation and talk about it a little, a little bit more, because I, I think it's important for us to come to this moment, and then decide how we can journey together, Carly. I agree. I think that this
1: conversation is incredibly important. And I think that with COVID, with all of the things that are going on in social justice right now, it's really important for us to be having these conversations, because we do, we could see this as an opportunity, right? An opportunity to rethink what we've been doing and choose a new path and find some new ways to to lead, to build our communities and really, you know, rework what, we're, what we've been doing. What has been working? What hasn't been working? Where can we go from here? So I think that that's an incredibly powerful thing and a really powerful opportunity that we have. So yes, I think we definitely should continue this conversation. We would love to hear from you all. If you wanna let us know what you think about disruptive leadership, if you've seen it you know, done in your own workplaces or in your own communities, let us know what that looks like, right? If you have some ideas about leadership that you would like us to explore, let us know. We're definitely gonna continue this conversation because I think we've found a really interesting thread here and I wanna be following it to see where it goes.
0: <laughs> Sounds um, good
1: to me. <laughs> so we appreciate you all so much for being with us today. Let us know you know, anything that you would like us to talk about when it comes to disruptive leadership. And we will be with you again next week. Thank you all. We shall walk.